Work is changing. The question is, are you? Welcome to 99 Problems But Work Ain't One, the new podcast series from How Now that will help you prepare for the fast changing world of work. I'm your host, Nelson Sivalingam, and I'll be talking to disruptive startups, contrarian thinkers, global leaders, and real game changers, and asking them the burning questions about the challenges we face at work, from scaling cultures and adopting technology to improving well being and building fast learning organizations that are prepared for the future of work. We get the insight tactics and actionable nuggets of knowledge to put to work. When you're running London's largest online marketplace for flexible office space, the COVID-19 work from home orders must feel like the world's largest curveball. Hubble founder Tusha Agarwal joined us to explain how you approach and handle a situation like this, both personally and professionally. We also discussed if these short-term challenges actually accelerated the trend for remote and hybrid working. Trisha explained why people are now demanding more flexibility, freedom and autonomy over where they work, but also provided the counter arguments for why the majority still want an office space of some kind. We also discussed whether the government's get back to work messaging could be worded better, how to prepare managers and leaders to deal with this new reality and measuring the return on your office space investments. So here's my brilliant conversation with Tusha. Tusha, welcome to the show. Hey Nelson, it's been a long time. Good to good to be here. It has been a long time, and a lot has happened in the world since we last spoke. And and that's exactly what we're going to dive into. Um, now, look before we get your take on on the this big debate of office work from home and everything about uh, the wonderful um, world of work and the workplace. You're in a really interesting place to have a take on this because you're business in essence at the time was helping other people find the perfect office um, for them to build their business in. Then let's go back to last March. The world goes into, or at the least, the UK goes into lockdown. What are you thinking? Uh, yeah, it was it was a pretty crazy time because we were, this time last year, actually in the middle of a funding round. Right. And so, you know, as well as, well as I do, typically you know, high growth technology companies, you're about six months out of running out of cash when you typically go for your next funding round. So we were actually in the middle of that process. And in March, we were very close to uh, basically getting around over the line. And we only had about, we'd be running the process since Jan and only had about three to four months of cash left in the bank. So when this hit, we initially, I guess it reacted to it in a similar way to when you know, when like SARS was going around sort of four or five years before that, yeah. uh, like, you know, it'll just be a thing. It just passes, won't really affect us. It'll be completely fine. And then my COO, David, he kind of like woke up in the middle of the night in a bit of a sweat right. and wrote, wrote an entire contingency plan of what happens if this is a real thing and we have to sort of work our way around it. And he kind of sent that as, as a memo to myself and Tom, my co-founder, and we read it and we're like, oh, come on, David, I think you're being a bit, bit, bit extreme here. You know, I think, you know, I'm, I'm glad you're thinking ahead, but, you know, it'll be it'll be fine. And lo and behold, you know, literally a week later, we're being told by the government that we're going to enter a national lockdown. People have to work from home. People can't leave their homes, etc. So it was pretty mad because, A, we were so we were in the middle of that funding round, very close to running out of cash. B, the entire world was a very, very scary place at that point in time. 
and huge amounts of uncertainty. And obviously, as a result of that, our entire market, the entire office market, just stopped in its tracks completely. And uh, it was very scary. Um, and I'm sure it was for lots and lots of businesses, but particularly ours, which was so geared towards um, people being in physical offices. And we had no idea how long things would last. And everyone seemed to have a different different theory around how quickly we'd come out of it. So I think JP Morgan, about three to four weeks after uh, lockdown happened, released a report predicting a V-shaped recovery from September onwards. And I think because the entire world was feeling optimistic or wanting to wanted something that felt optimistic, kind of jumped on that. Yeah. Um, and I know there's a lot of people sharing that JP Morgan report around saying, oh, everything will be fine from September. It's just going to be a V-shaped recovery from September onwards. So it, it was pretty crazy. So what do you say to your team, right? Because I guess it's not just the managing, okay, we're going to start working from home and all of the logistics around that, which I find typically, you know, as a startup, you're a lot more nimble and you're ready to work from home anyway. But more so from the, what did you communicate to the team around our entire business? Like, What do you say to your sales team? Your client, what do you do? So we we essentially had to have a few emergency board meetings to try and figure out what we were going to do, particularly because the business was in an interesting position because of fundraising. Obviously, the investors we were speaking to all kind of said, let's resume this when things get back to normal. <laughs> and we had no idea when that might be. It could be September, it could be 2022, 2025, who knows at that point in time. Um, we had to basically make sure that the business would survive at least the short to medium term. And the government obviously introduced a, a furlough scheme. So we essentially, we had a team of about 56 people and we furloughed, uh, what was it, 40, I think we furloughed 47 people. Um, no, actually, maybe it was more. Yeah, we sorry, we furloughed 47 people. So we had nine people left sort of full time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was then a case of trying to figure out what are we going to do? How long is this going to take? And the furlough scheme was a, was, a, was, a, was a blessing for us and many other businesses because it allowed us to offset that cost, yeah. keep the team employed whilst things were, we were able to figure things out. And we were basically talking to our board about, well, now that the fundraise that we were in uh, has effectively been put on hold, how do yeah. we make sure that the business is in a great cash position? So um, the furlough helped us reduce some of that cost. But also, eventually, we had to figure out a way to cut our cost base by 70% um, in order to essentially survive the period. And as things unfolded, um, it became more and more obvious that COVID and, and lockdown would, would, would go on for a lot longer. So it was a lot of very, very difficult conversations at the height of uncertainty. And most of the time, as with most businesses, we were just reacting to government guidance, the daily briefings, making sure that we were aligned with that. We were also making sure that we were communicating to all of our customers, both on the tenant side, uh, but also on the office provider side of what we were seeing and what they should be doing as well. So we're keeping open lines of communication with everyone. But I think because the entire world had essentially was in this sort of state of complete chaos, it was, I wouldn't say an easier conversation, but from the staff perspective, they had full context of what was going on. So it wasn't quite surprising that that would happen. And um and yeah, it, it was tough, especially doing it all over Zoom, because all of our meetings used to be in person. Um, and you're essentially telling uh, the majority of your staff that from next week onwards, they will not be working and they'll be furloughed until further notice. 
and you have to do that on a on a Zoom call when actually you're used to having very um, in person conversations. A lot of these people are friends of yours as well as colleagues. Yeah. So a lot of that was 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 super super tough. And you find, you know, as a founder, you almost get used to fighting fires and and things going wrong and having to come up uh, with a solution out of nowhere. And then this is almost that complete curveball. Although you're used to curveballs, this is like the mother of all curveballs. And um, how do you deal with it as a as a founder yourself, right? Because often I found we don't really talk about it a lot and, and more and more of this is starting to happen amongst the kind of tech founder community at least in london at all uh, around the kind of mental health impact of this and, and how have you kind of overcome that and dealt with so much uncertainty i think initially there was a period of purely being fueled by adrenaline right and you're basically you know your body goes into fight or flight mode very caveman-esque yeah and you're prepared to just fight this big hairy polar bear that's just arrived <laughs> and you know you'll do anything to survive at all costs so i think a lot of it was initially just adrenaline fueled reaction and making sure that the business can survive there were certainly periods where you know it was looking extremely bleak where you know we were about to run out of money we were conserving cash as much as we could um and we were basically trying to ensure that we had enough cash to keep the business going for longer. But most of our investors and most investors in the market had kind of shut up shop uh, yeah. because they were going to wait it out until things got a little bit more certain. So there was times when mentally it was extremely, extremely challenging. Um, I had my management team, David and Tom, who's also my co-founder to rely on. And we were basically like supporting each other through it. Um, a lot of our board members also you know, were were very supportive in having weekly calls or monthly calls just to make sure that things were looking fine and the business could survive. But then it really comes down to friends and family, right? Like, where yeah. do you go to in a time of extreme ex- uncertainty um, where the business that you've been building for six years, which actually was on a really great trajectory, has just been hit by, like you said, the mother of all curveballs, everything is completely out of control. You're completely powerless. Like, how do you deal with that emotion? And a lot of it was, for me, my girlfriend, you know, supporting me through that, but also just turning to friends and family to get support. But what was even harder is that friends and family were also in very difficult positions, right? Because everyone was hit by this and people were fearing for their jobs um, and people were fearing for their health. So, um, and people fearing for the health of their family as well. So it was, it was tough. To be honest, I have absolutely... No idea how I got through it. <laughs> because objectively, if you were to describe that situation to me, or by the way, this thing is going to come in six months' time, I turn around and say, I have got no idea how anyone handles it. But you know, the entire planet somehow managed to get through. And it kind of just shows the resilience of, of us as society. And um, and I think as a founder, you do, like you said, you do build up a certain sense of resilience as you go through the years because you are dealing with curveballs on a daily basis. Uh, some of which can become very existential um, yeah. occasionally where you're like, oh my God, is the business really going to survive this one event which kind of came out of nowhere? And we'd already been through a couple of those existential events throughout our history, but nothing quite like this. And I think it was it was just pure, pure adrenaline, really. And so you're considering options throughout this time that we're in in lockdown of what to do with the business and where to go. And during that period of time, there is, and still today, there is a lot of conversation, speculation, and I guess taking it a few months back, there was companies like Spotify, 
you know, announcing that they're going work from anywhere. Uh, the role of the office uh, moving forward is is being questioned. There's you know surveys around um, employees saying they'll quit if if managers ask them to come back to the office. And um, all of this, in in essence, isn't just a debate. This is actually has a direct impact on the future of your business, right? Um, and so hearing all of this and the shift that was happening, um, what what were you guys thinking about in terms of what would happen to the bit? What would the new role of um, the company be in in what was now changing in the kind of future of work? Sure, yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, since day one, what we built, you know, Hubble was London's largest online marketplace for flexible office space, right? And flexible office space essentially meant businesses not being locked into long-term leases. And we certainly felt that's where the future was, even back in 2014, when we first launched the business. And as uh, this sort of existential crisis around the purpose of the office was playing out across the entire market, and everyone was talking about it, um, fundamentally, what us and our board were talking about was how all of these factors were going to fuel uh, more and more of a demand for flexibility within within real estate, right? Mm. And so um, I don't think there was ever a question in our heads whether the the, the entire office market would just disappear overnight. Um, but there was certainly, <clears throat> certainly, or I guess almost a little bit of excitement around, hey, actually, you know, this looks like it's going to hugely accelerate the macro trend that we've already been building the business on, which is every business wanting more and more flexibility in their real estate footprint, people wanting more optionality and more autonomy in where and how they work and not being locked into long-term commitments. And so when we were talking about our, you know, with our existing investors who ended up bridging the company, and you know, that's why we're still here today. Um, I put, I spent about three to four days just sitting on my own in a room, putting together an entire thesis, almost like a PhD paper on what the future of work looks like mm-hmm. and taking some of these trends and playing them out and building essentially a picture of, of what the world may look like straight after COVID or five, 10 years time. And what was really funny is I spent three to four days doing that. And I looked at the same thesis that I'd sort of created when we first started the company. And it wasn't particularly different. Yeah. It was all around... It was all around um, more and more autonomy and optionality for the individual employee uh, of where they work. It was all about the employer being able to trans- transform their real estate costs from fixed costs into a variable cost. And you know, our vision has always been to create uh, the AWS for the workplace, right? So when you think about what cloud did to physical service space, most companies were limited by their physical servers of what they already had in the building of how much you know, how much they could they could scale the business. And then cloud came along and essentially made that into something which was a second, almost second nature to every business, which was, of course, we can scale up and down, you know, our capabilities as and when we need them. Of course, we can introduce new features upon demand. And our vision has always been to create that for the workplace. And that's really just being accelerated by what's going on at the moment. Yeah. And fundamentally, the, the debate early on was, uh, the death of the office versus mm-hmm. Viva the office is very binary. Yeah. And what was really interesting about that is, you know, I, I came out very publicly and said, you know, I'm probably the only office space CEO declaring that the office is dead as we knew it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And what I meant by that was the, the understanding that the office is somewhere you go to five days a week, nine to five, 
that concept was already eroding pre-COVID. Yeah. Yeah. But this was certainly an acceleration of that, of that trend. And that's why I said, you know, um, I think that's true, but there will essentially need to be more and more flexibility in how organizations use office. And fundamentally, every company uh, will want their own unique blend of working from the HQ, working from home and working from on-demand spaces such as local co-working spaces or creative places to do a brainstorm or work from abroad or whatever that is. And um, and that's exactly what uh, employees will want to. And that's what actually what they wanted for the past 10 years or even longer <laughs> is, is a bit of a more of a bottom-up approach about where and how they work. And what do you think is the case for still having this kind of shared physical space, right? Because what, one of the options being considered is the complete opposite extreme, which is um, work from anywhere. But in essence, what we're saying is you work from home or anywhere other than a shared physical space or office that we've, uh, that the business owns or the business is, is leasing out. So what do you think is the counter case for that? Why do you need a shared physical space? So it's, it's a really, really interesting question. So we ran a survey back in September last year, which uh, surveyed over a thousand employees of mostly small, medium-sized businesses across the UK. The, my favorite stat from that survey, and there was hundreds of stats, my favorite stat was 70% of people found working from home a positive experience, but also exactly 70% of people still wanted an office of some sort. Right. And when you when you dug in deeper, as to why that was, it was really summarized by what we are now starting to call internally at Hubble, the three C's, which are A, uh, collaboration. So whilst people can collaborate online using remote tools, and there's plenty that we've been doing for the past 12 months, people prefer generally to collaborate in person. Um, fundamentally, we're humans. We know that 70% of communication is nonverbal. And so really via Zoom call, you're only sometimes getting 30% of that communication. Right. And collaboration between colleagues, a lot of the time, uh, is based upon uh, bonds, you know, a feeling of belonging, a feeling of having a trusted space. Um, and a lot of collaboration happens in between the workshops. If you're running a workshop, that's kind of stimulated everyone's brains, and then they all go off for lunch, and they actually may have their best ideas over lunch. Yeah. And then they'll come back, and then actually they'll they'll change everything. So the three Cs were really collaboration, culture, and clients. And, and that's kind of what we see consistently from an, an individual perspective, a team perspective, and an organization perspective, is why people still want to come into physical spaces. So collaboration, either with, uh, you know, with, with the rest of your team. Second is culture. So again, we're tribal beings. We're still human. We can build culture online and remotely. Uh, but you know, uh, if you think about online dating, there's been a lot of online dating that's been happening for the last 12 months. So people are doing like FaceTime calls and Zoom calls, but you can't really date someone until you've met them in person, right? Like that's that's fundamentally true. Yeah. And lots of people have pen pals and remote friends, but they know that that one time of year where they get together wherever they are, they'll always remember that as, as a memorable experience and they'll form like a real human bond because we're just, we're, we're fundamentally just animals, right? Yeah. yeah. So so I think, I think, again, from an organization individual perspective, uh, culture of the business. I don't. I don't think that the. I don't think that requires everyone being in Monday to Friday nine to five, but it does require having rituals, um, and and occasions where people do get together and form those bonds within the company, 
And the third thing is really clients. And, and again, it goes back to how do you win a client or a customer? Typically, you win them by building trust. And of course, you can build trust online via documents, Zoom calls, et cetera. Uh, but some people prefer to build that trust over a lunch or a drink um, or a breakfast. And, um, and we're starting to see more and more companies want to meet clients in person if they can, you know, whenever the restrictions lift. And that will be their, their first preference, um, even though there'll probably be more remote client meetings than there ever were before in a post-COVID world. I think people will still want to meet in person if they can to kind of get that deal over the line. And there is also, I think, will be a bit of an arms race where if you're trying to secure a client deal, yeah. your competitor is taking them out for lunch and you're waiting to schedule a Zoom call. Um, your product may objectively be better. Your company may objectively be better, but that's a human being make a decision based on, on human contact. You may, you, may, you may or may not lose that client to the person who took them out for lunch. I'm not saying people as, are as fickle as that. Yeah, I'm yeah. not saying people can be bought by lunch. What I'm saying is that people tend to do, want to do business with people who they have a good relationship with, and you can accelerate the relationship building in person. Uh, versus you know doing that remotely 100% of the time personally what do you find has been your optimal balance are you do you prefer the working from home and being in the office full-time or is there a sweet spot what what have you because one of the interesting things for me is I think I was always one for not being in the office and I think a large part of the reason why I was in the office was for the team whereas I quite liked carving out a space to be able to do deep work where there weren't any kind of disruptions and and, um, there. But I feel like I've kind of come around to it. So when we went into working from home initially, I was like, this is, this is great. I can, you know, focus, get my head down, do, do stuff with less distractions. But I've now come around to, I almost feel like the, the lockdown period has made me realize even more the value and importance of that shared physical space, because doesn't matter how many orchestrated Zoom calls you have, the unplanned interaction that you have just being in the same space can't be recreated uh, online. So I find myself moving back in the direction of the office, but it'll be interesting to hear your take. Yeah, I think I think you kind of nailed it in what you said around, you essentially gave a couple of use cases, right? So you said, um, I prefer being working from home when I'm doing deep work. Deep work, essentially, it, you need an environment of not being interrupted, almost silence, and to be also comfortable, right, in order to do, like, creative, great work. Um, and your other use case that you talked about of being in the office was to be with the team and, like, build relationships and bonds with the team. And and I, my, my view of that is different spaces for different activities for different people, right? And so um, when you are wanting to do deep work, um, then... And this, this is, I guess, you are, the question was around, you know, what is Hubble doing? So Hubble, uh, and I sort of go from there. So Hubble, is we've always worked in a really flexible way. We were obviously always office first, but we allowed a huge amount of flexibility in where, where people worked, when they wanted to work, where they felt most productive. So uh, we had an office for the entire team, but, uh, you know, I would, I, I would be dealing with clients and investors, et cetera. I'd probably be out of the office maybe two to three days a week. Um, and occasionally when I was doing deep work, I'd either be at home or I'd be in some spaces that I really like, which are almost like a library-like atmosphere right. um, where I could sort of do that deep work. And we had other team members who, for example, our sales team, they liked being together all of the time because they liked that sales environment. It's kind of like a team sport. We had a few uh, software developers who preferred to 
work from home two to three days a week and then come in for their sprint planning meetings or whatever that was. So we kind of already allowed that level of flexibility, even, you know, even pre-COVID. And post-COVID, I think we're starting to see that more and more. And I think that's kind of where, that's kind of our view is that if you think about how much emphasis we as a society place on environment, especially if you think about like our obsession with the perfect, buying the perfect property, right? You've had shows like Location, Location, Location. You have people who spend so much money doing up their house to create a certain environment. Uh, You have people who move uh, countries or even across the city to be in a catchment area for their kids to be in the right school because they want their kid to be in the right environment. As human beings, we place so much emphasis and time on being in the right environment for the right thing to have the right feelings. And that also is what work should be like, right? So when you're doing silent work, you should be able to go into an environment which which, uh, helps you get silent work done. If you're doing a creative brainstorm with your team and you're trying to come up with some wacky ideas, maybe you should be walking around the galleries of the Tate Modern for an hour or so, getting inspired, uh, and then going into a, a going into sort of a, a workshop room within the Tate Modern and doing your your creative brainstorm there because that's you're you're basically optimizing for the output that you're trying to get yeah. with the environment that you're surrounding yourself with, and I think that's fundamentally my very uh, I guess pure view on how work should be done. It should really yeah. be catered towards individuals. What's your personality type? Do you thrive in a quiet? personal environment or do you thrive in a loud environment and different people are different and how does that align with what you do as in the individual tasks that you do as your job you know as ceos we're doing lots of stuff we're doing internal meetings external meetings we're writing board decks we're creating strategy blah 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 blah. and many of our team members are doing the same thing their job involves different types of activities with different people at different times and can we give them the environments where they can be the most successful uh, in order to do that. That's that's kind of our view. And that's how, to be honest, how we've always run Hubble since the beginning as well. So what's your take, Tisha, on, on when you hear um, Mr. Boris Johnson um, saying, you know, people, you, you've had your time off, you know, get back in, get back in the office, or you then hear the CEO of WeWork say, if you're not coming back into the office, you're, you're not an engaged employee. Um, and, you know, there's all kinds of rhetoric and, and narrative around this debate. Um, what's your take when you hear people like this come out and and make comments like that? Uh, I find the I find the government's messaging of get back to work incredibly patronising, and it seems to, uh, I guess, come from a place where work is a place you went rather than something you did, and I think that's where the messaging comes from. And it's maybe it's part of the generation that's currently in government at the moment or where their strategy is coming from. But if you think about it on the face of it, um, I've never seen the levels of innovation that we've seen as a human race in the last 14 months in such a short period of time. I've never seen that level of innovation. The amount of businesses that we've seen pivot, the amount of businesses that we've seen do something completely different to what their business was before in order to survive COVID, whether that's a pub trying to figure out how they're going to be a really high volume takeaway service, right? Or whether that's a travel business trying to figure out how they can become a SaaS platform. Um, And whether that's the largest, the three largest pharmaceutical companies in the world 
uh, creating a vaccine in 10 months that typically takes about 10 years to create, right? And on top of that, you've got entire governments that we've been dealing with an unprecedented crisis that no one in government has ever seen. And most of them have been working remotely too. So um, I don't, I don't uh, like, and I don't think that the government is going to be successful with the message which says, get back to work. Um, I can understand why they say it. And I can understand, but I think the actual, I think words matter and they should pick the right wording. And fundamentally, um, the government has got a lot of a lot of agendas at the moment, right? So one is the the build back better agenda, which is all about economic recovery. The other agenda is the leveling up agenda, which is all about making sure that regions outside of the southeast and London uh, can see the same levels of economic growth as London and the southeast. So actually, they should be using flexible working and the ability for people to work flexibly or even in a hybrid way to actually achieve those outcomes, because. Um, if the government is promoting that message, then you're essentially encouraging London-based companies to hire non-London-based staff, and they don't have to move to London and incur, you know, the high living costs of being in London. Mm. Um, and that money goes straight to the regions, and they spend that money in the regions, and that starts to regenerate that region without companies having to build physical office spaces there. And also, flexible working increases the level of employment in the economy as well, because many people fundamentally. You know, there, there sometimes there's a market failure in, in matching supply and demand with respect to jobs because there's something blocking that person from being able to have that job. Perhaps it's a recent mother who, you know, uh, they've finished their maternity leave, but they want to work from home two to three days a week for childcare. Um, and the other two days a week, they can come into the office. And you'll have a lot of employers who are unwilling to be that flexible um, because they require everyone to come in Monday to Friday, nine to five. And so if you, have a, if you have a government which encourages that policy and an employer that listens, then that recent mother will have a harder time finding a job, right? And so I, I, I find that messaging quite patronizing. I think fundamentally what we've learned is that autonomy, optionality, and flexibility about where we work, as long as the work is getting done, is the best for the economy, it's best for employers, and it's best for employees. It's how do you, I guess you've probably had this challenge yourself and a lot of conversations we have is almost around the leaders and managers of these businesses are not prepared for managing a team that's working in this new hybrid environment, right? Because it, it and, and I know you guys have spoken about this at Hubble, this idea of getting people into the office because you don't essentially trust them. And, and that's, you know, there's an old school of management where it's, I need to see you at your laptop working for me to believe work is actually happening. And, and it's almost, um, how much of this do you think we can solve from just better preparing our managers and leaders to deal with this new reality? I think, I think it's, I think it's really the uh, a root cause of a lot of, um, companies and employers wanting to get people back in because their management techniques pre-COVID depended upon presenteeism. So they're measuring productivity over presentation. So they're measuring presenteeism over productivity. You know, they're measuring hours over output. And a lot of that is to do with, there is a bit of a generational gap. So you have leaders of some businesses uh, which come from a generation where that's true. And if you think about the root cause of that, that mentality, it's really the industrial revolution where you had workers in factories and you were physically clocking in and out, right? 
And a worker in a factory was yet just another factor of production that would make the machinery work. And if they weren't there, the machines don't work. And that's just simply not true anymore. Uh, we don't, you know, we had the industrial revolution three to 400 years ago. Now we've had the information revolution. And there will, of course, be some jobs. You know, you've had the founder of Pimlico Plumbers, who's been a very vocal advocate of people, uh, of people coming back to work. And from a plumbing perspective, I get it. You can't be a plumber <laughs> if you're not willing to go to people's homes and do the plumbing. Um, so I think there's certainly certain categories of jobs where you just can't do it. My mum is a teacher um, and she was doing remote teaching for quite a while. And she still prefers in-person teaching and she would always prefer to go in and, and teach kids in that way. And I think many teachers are the same. Uh, but for knowledge-based workers that are primarily working off of computers and laptops, um, managers and companies need to find ways to measure performance in the right ways. And I think what will happen is that the companies who are measuring performance in the right way, so where the stuff is getting done, whether it's high quality, will be the ones that win the war for talent. And there is now a global war for talent. The smartest people in the world, uh, as location becomes less and less of a, of a factor around employment, will have their pick of companies that they can choose to work for. And employers will have to create policies in which that they can hire those people and those people will be happy. So I think over time, you'll just see attrition at companies that are continuing to measure presenteeism over productivity or hours over output. Have you got any suggestions on how you know, companies who are, let's say, not back to work, but back to the workplace in terms of the, the kind of physical space itself, or even if they are now deciding we're not going back to five days a week in the office, we are taking more of a hybrid approach. Um, any kind of suggestions on how they can prepare themselves as managers, but also how they can prepare their team for it? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think a lot of the preparation has been kind of done in the last 12 to 14 months. So uh, I think the best management techniques for running a hybrid organization is actually having a remote first mentality. So you essentially still run the company as if the company is remote. Uh, and when people are physically in the office or, or meeting together, that's an added bonus or that can sort of uh, create better outputs as a result in some of those instances. But remote first means stuff like making sure that communication across the company is fully digital um, and can, you know, when you have a company announcement that can be heard from everyone, no matter whether they're in the office that day or not. Uh, a lot of it depends on having the right tooling to make sure that you're measuring the right things, um, having the right processes such as are you measuring productivity based on individual objectives and whether people hit those objectives or are you measuring them based on a gut feeling of I like this person I don't like this person which is actually how a lot of management is done um, and so I think actually taking uh, the remote first mentality and the remote first operating system that most companies have managed to build up over the last 12 to 14 months and continuing on that doubling down on that will actually be the best way that companies can enter a hybrid world because a hybrid world by its very nature will be um, amorphous, it'll be flexible, people will be in and out in different ways. Uh, but that shouldn't be affecting whether you can run the company or not, um, as long as you can communicate with everyone in the right way. Uh, what will be what what will be interesting is, uh, and this is what we're hearing a lot about at the moment, is how people do meetings. Right. So lots of companies are trying to figure out, how do we do hybrid meetings? So some of them are saying, we're happy to do hybrid meetings only in these rooms that have the right equipment. 
So, and a lot of our clients, which is the flexible office providers are actually putting, creating Zoom rooms within their buildings. So you can have hybrid meetings that are high quality, very, very dependable, very reliable. And some other companies are saying, well, no, we will never have hybrid meetings. Our meetings will either happen fully remotely or fully in person. And if they're in person, then we'll give people notice of at least 24 hours, 48 hours, whatever it is uh, that they need to be there. So, um, so that's still to be worked out. But in general, I think the hybrid approach is going to be the best approach for every business because it will give people the best of both worlds. It will give the, re- the benefits that we've all had from remote working and the benefits of being in the office and together. But the risk is that if you don't do it properly, if you don't put the right processes, policies and tools in place, then you could have the worst of both worlds. And I think that's where some of the fear is at the moment. Do you find, you know, interesting enough, up until recently, right, the office was a given. Uh, and I, I doubt most businesses ever questioned, uh, do we get an office or, or not? And it, it's almost one of those expenses that I don't know whether many companies ever looked at the return on investment of an office and whether they even looked at it in that way in terms of building a business case, well, should we have it or not? And um, I'm just curious now, just listening to you, I was like, point you know you never questioned this amount of money we're going to put to the offices is there a return on investment and just hearing you talk about measuring different things and now it might actually become a common practice for you to measure the impact of having a office or physical shared space and seeing whether that does improve productivity and performance or not did you get much of that before when people were coming to you looking at a space was there like a a measure of roi around the space and therefore i can spend x amount um, I think the I think the measure of ROI was always implicit because, like you said, it was a given, right? The office was a given. Um, what people were measuring, and this is where sort of the flexible office revolution came from. And to put some stats on this, back in 2014 when we launched the business, only half a percent of total office space worldwide was flexible. So 99.5% of all office space, you were had to sign a three, five, ten-year lease on occasion. Mm-hmm. And so that was a very large fixed cost for most businesses. Um, and that flexible workspace revolution that you've seen in the last sort of five, 10 years, that went from half a percent in 2014 to 7% at the beginning of 2020. Oh. And it's forecast to be 30% by 2030. So, um, and the reason why that is happening is because businesses are trying to transform as many costs as they can from a fixed cost into a variable cost. So that essentially allowed real estate to become a variable cost that would flex up and down with their headcount. So say we spend a thousand pounds per person per month, we've got 50 people, we know that we're gonna spend 50,000 pounds per month. Right. But if we, if our team grows to hundred people in six months time, we'll know we'll spend a hundred thousand pounds a month in six months time. But what people used to have to do then is forecast their entire hiring plans for the next five years. Uh, and then basically get an office based on what the largest number was. <laughs> and then kind of wait until the headcount grew. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I think I think office is always we, we start to see office be looked at as a variable cost, and we certainly do that when we're forecasting our own financial plans. Yeah, and we we essentially forecast on a per head basis. What has been really interesting is we're now starting to hear companies look at their per person per month office cost and figure out whether that can be reallocated. So, um, so you know, on average, most businesses in London spend about. 500 pounds per employee per month um, on their on a- giving them access to the office and 
Now, lots of employers are trying to figure out, okay, we're probably going to keep that cost at 500. We don't want to lower that cost, but perhaps we can reallocate that 500 pounds in a better way to be more efficient uh, for both the employer and for the employee. So say, take, for example, that um, the employee wants to work a few days in the office, a few days in an on-demand workspace, and a few days at home uh, over the course of the month. So employees are looking at that £500 a month cost and saying, okay, maybe £200 of that can go to the HQ, and £200 of that can go to giving access to on-demand workspace to this employee, and £100 of that can go to uh, essentially improving their work from home setup. So whether that's sort of exporting some of the office culture home, whether that's craft coffee or sending people donuts for their birthday. And I think what may happen eventually if work from home becomes a real more permanent thing, it might be contributions to running costs of working from home. So maybe contribution to the broadband bill or the heating bill or whatever that is. So I think there's going to be this really interesting uh, dissection of the per per head cost of the office yeah. to see whether it can be reallocated. And really, um, you know, we, you were talking about Hubble, you know, we've been a flexible office marketplace for the last five, six years. We've been spending the last six months or so evolving that business for the future of where we work. And new Hubble will be all about reallocating that 500 pounds. So for the most efficient way. So as an organization, um, can we help you configure the ideal blend of working from the HQ on demand at home? And then we can actually help you reallocate that spend across all those three buckets and then see how that works and then be able to optimize that on a monthly basis. And that really helps us go closer and closer to that vision that we had of yeah. being the AWS for the workplace. Sounds super exciting to share. This is now the final part of the show, mate, the quick fire questions. Um, I'm going to throw some questions at you um, as quickly as possible. Uh, give me your answer. Let's start off with what do you know now that you wish you knew at the start of the pandemic? Uh, that we'd, we'd still be here a year, <laughs> year later. <laughs> no one no one had any idea we'd be, if, if you, most people were like, oh, we're still going to be in lockdown in March 2021? No, absolutely not. And of course we were. We're in even worse lockdown in March 21 than we were in March 2020. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember when we sent, um, told our team, this is before the country went into lockdown we thought we'd send the team to work from home and we said we actually told them it'll be for a week guys and maybe even in that week you can come into the office for a day if you want and yeah little 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 did we know um what's the one thing you've obviously placed a, a lot of business in a lot of office spaces um what are some of the most popular things you see businesses asking for in their kind of ideal place to work uh absolutely everything about flexibility so we're getting so i'll I'll give you the spectrum right and this is sorry not short this is not quick fire answer to your quick fire question but it might give you a bit of a sense of what we're dealing with here so when we talk about hybrid hybrid is essentially a combination of office and remote work but that can mean and does mean different things to different people who have very different configurations of hybrid so we're being asked for on one side of the spectrum companies who want uh people in four days a week and we'll give one day of flexibility and actually that doesn't sound pretty crazy but actually for a lot of businesses that's progressive because they were monday to friday nine to five so that's one side of the spectrum the other side of the spectrum we're seeing is companies coming to us and saying can we meet for four weeks a year um and so we'll just meet a week per quarter 
Um, and and you can sort of that's kind of the that's kind of the two opposite ends of the spectrum. And then there's everything in between. So then there's can we have an office for two days a week? And the rest of three days will work remotely, but we may want access to on-demand space. Um, can we have a town hall? Can we have access to a town hall once a week so we can do right. our weekly company town hall? Um, can you give us access to uh, all the hotels around the world where we can do a quarterly or an annual company retreat? Because that's the only time we're going to meet. Yeah. So we're, we're seeing every company be very, very creative in thinking yeah. about how they're going to work, where they're going to meet physically, being very deliberate about meeting physically, and then trying to find exactly the right configuration of space to make that, make that work. In terms of office perks, right, we've got spaces all the way from your ping pong tables to, to beer on tap. Have you come across spaces where you think that's a slightly weird perk that they've got? Any, any weird perks that office spaces have? Um, I don't think any weird perks. I think in general, offices are becoming more and more like hotels. So a lot of these office providers have brought in uh, hotel industry veterans. And so we're starting to see, you know, five-star gyms open up with Peloton bikes and meditation rooms and that sort of stuff. And uh, I think there's just going to be a big merge between hotels and, and flexible workspaces. And that's been going on for a while. I don't think there's been anything particularly weird. Um, the one thing that has been happening a lot in the last couple of months is the need for pet-friendly and dog-friendly offices. Right. Because essentially dog ownership shot up during COVID. Yeah. And now that, and it was fine when everyone was at home, but now people are trying to figure out what are we going to, what am I going to do with the dog now if I yeah. need to come in? So um, we're, we're getting a huge amount of demand for pet-friendly offices more than we ever did before. I don't know whether you can answer this issue, but your favorite workspaces that you've worked from? Uh, I, I definitely can't answer that. <laughs> but what, what I would say is um, some of the best spaces I've worked out in the world are just like really great hotels. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they have really great hospitality. They have really great food. Uh, and they have dedicated areas for work, which are not sort of like old school business centers that you get in a Hilton. Yeah. And there's lots of hotel groups that are really embracing people just wanting to hang out and work. And I would say some of the best hotels I've stayed in across the world have been some of my favorite places to work. And I've always, I've always hoped, oh man, I really hope they launch their own workspace brand one day because I think they do really well out of it. Um, what's the best nugget of, of wisdom that someone's given you about building a great place to work? The best nugget of wisdom, that is a interesting one. I think for me, it everything just comes down to, everything just comes down to trust. And it's actually less about the physical workplace. The physical workplace is, is great in terms of like, making sure you have the right environment for people to do their best work. But it really it comes down to, does everyone in the organization trust each other? And if people trust each other, location, et cetera, et cetera, and arguments over that become uh, less powerful within the organization because you're, you trust, you know, you trust that the other person is working when you don't see them online or you don't see them in person. Uh, you trust that this other thing is happening uh, and that it will get done by the end of the week, even if you, never, if you, even if you don't speak to that person for a week. So I think it's, it fundamentally all comes down to trust. And there's this really great book 
uh, that I was recommended called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, which, uh, which is all about fundamentally building trust within organizations. And I think for me, that's always number one, not just within organizations, but within you know, friends, family. I think the entire world just runs on trust. On that note, Tisha, as always, great to speak to you, my friend, and, and thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And that's a wrap. I found that conversation with Tisha incredibly insightful, and I'd love to know if anything you've heard today has changed your view on hybrid working. Do let me know or the How Now team through the links in the description. That's also where you'll find Tisha and Hubble's details, links to the show notes, and everything else you need to know. If you enjoyed this episode, please do think about subscribing, sharing, leaving us a review or telling a friend. It goes a long way in helping the show grow. Thanks and see you next time.